You're going to have to tell me what translation that was. <laughs> well, as it's a minute past noon, good afternoon. <laughs> if you'll humor me, I know we just read that. We just had the passage read for you, but again, let me read, let me read it one more time just to focus our uh, attention this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. I am finishing up my second tour through the Sermon on the Mount, and I typically will end the, a preaching section with, the, I won't end the series, but I, I, my text will typically end, I'll have uh, seven verses one through five, and that's where I'll typically end to talk about do not judging, do not judge others, and having done that, I will always have somebody that will come up to me and said, I hope you, I hoped you were going to go on to verse six. Because I never understand what verse 6 says. And I always tell them, well, come back next week. And inevitably, I get, up and I get up the next week and I say, okay, so people want to know what verse 6 is because it's a really weird text. So after studying it, after preaching it a few times, I'm going to tell you what I think of verse 6. You ready? It's a really weird verse. It's, it's strange. It's, it's kind of there, but it's weird. It's, 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 right there, it's right there on the heels of Jesus telling us not to judge one another. Right? I mean, pretty clearly, pretty strongly, Jesus says, don't judge one another. And then looks like he turns around and then calls people dogs and pigs. Jesus starts talking about sacred pearls, which is language that he has not used before and does not use again. So I'm supposed to infer that Jesus is talking about what? Even Bible scholars don't know where this verse even goes. Does it, is, it, is it part of, the, of one through five? Does it start a new section with seven? Is it just by itself? There's debate and, and not a lot of unity about what, where this verse even goes. On top of that, I have another significant problem with this text, and it's that conventional wisdom says that the verse is fulfilled. If Jesus' references to dogs and pigs are indeed those common Jewish ways of referring to Gentiles, and for reference, see Matthew chapter 15, where the Canaanite woman, and he kind of roundabout way refers to her as a dog. Then, and Jesus' reference to the sacred and pearls is a way of referring to the kingdom and the gospel, which seems to be a pretty uniform way of interpreting this passage. You have then Jesus prohibiting taking the kingdom gospel to the Gentile world until after the Resurrection, the Great Commission, Ascension, and Pentecost. So obviously, that time has long since passed. 
Clearly, the gospel was sent to non-Jews. You hear what I'm saying? So, that leaves an interesting question then. If that's the point, if what Jesus is saying in this passage is simply, don't send the gospel to the Gentiles that aren't ready for it, wait until the time, that time has been over for 2,000 years. So then, why is it still included? And it's not like Matthew is writing this at the time, and so it was just, he's just dictating as Jesus is talking. He's writing this decades after Pentecost. So he's writing this in the time in which this has already been fulfilled, which begs the question again, why did he include it? Paul is already at least on his missionary journeys, if he's not already finished taking the gospel all around the Gentile world. So the gospel had clearly gone to the Gentiles by the time Matthew wrote this, so why leave it in? What does it say to us today? You know, there's there's another way we might read this verse. If on one level history has kind of uprooted this saying, and that the church today is more Gentile than Jewish, it's then run its course. But on another level, we might read this as focusing our gospeling on those closest to us. If that's what what the passage is about, then then in the same way Jesus was saying, we're going to spend our time focusing on the kingdom to those I came to, the kingdom. I, I came to bring good news of the kingdom first to the Jews, first to God's chosen people, and then after that it branches out. It follows with Acts chapter 1, where it's, it's Jerusalem and Israel, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So it's this idea of starting where we are and then branching out. So Jesus' ministry, again, was largely limited to the Jews. Refer back again to Matthew 15. They were his people. That's the family of faith he was born into. Therefore, we might do well to follow that example, that as we start sharing the gospel, maybe the place to start is with those with whom we live. Leave the worldwide evangelism to those specifically called to go out to the world. And what this might just require of us is to bring the gospel into the more intimate parts of our life. It's so easy to do evangelism to strangers. Because at the end of the day, I'm never going to see them again, so I don't care how they felt about it. Right? Just a few weeks ago, I had, I had somebody knock on my door at my house and open up, and it was a couple people from a Baptist church in the area that were passing out little postcards that had advertised their VBS and their church service on it, which always, I always find inwardly hilarious. Um, and so they, and they start prepping me to, for them to share the gospel with me in case I'm not a churchgoer. So, you know, they ask, you know, do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then the, his, the guy's wife, I assume it was his wife, um, I guess it didn't have to be, but for the intents and purposes of the story, sure. It's, so his wife says, you don't know him, you don't care. <laughs> so, so his wife says, you know, make some, made some kind of a joke about, are you, do you have the assurance? Which I'm like, Baptist, okay. Um, 
And, but I said, well, I'm a pastor, so I hope so. And then the conversation tone and atmosphere just really changed on a dime. And then it was like, wrap up really quick so they can move on to the next house. Which I really wanted to watch them go to the next house because I'm about 50% sure the people like my neighbors are Muslim. And so I was kind of curious to see how that would go. But anyway, it's easy to do that because I'm not in their sphere of influence. It's easy to pass out a track or to, to leave those really tacky tip tracks that look like $20 and then it's like, no, it's really a track about the kingdom of God, which really in no way benefits the kingdom of God. But anyway, it's easy to do that because there's no, there's no, long, it's, there's no lasting ramification if they reject the gospel or reject me. I mean, I might, there's a little bit of disappointment, but at the end of the day, I don't, you know, I don't, I'll never see him again. I'll get over it. It's much harder when it's people that I'm actually invested in, when I have a relationship with, and that trying to share the gospel with them may push them away, and I could risk that relationship, then that becomes a lot harder. And yet that's where the gospel, where sharing the gospel actually may make the most impact. Scott McKnight actually says that perhaps more of us need to gospel our families, our neighbors, and those in our communities more than we are. It's harder today in today's church, it's harder to do in today's churches because our congregations aren't as neighborhood-centric as they used to be. I live 30 minutes from my church. I do not, so I don't live in the same neighborhood my church is located in. So back in the day when our churches were our neighborhood church, it's much easier to evangelize and to gospel that community because we all live there. The church exists there. It's, everybody knows everybody. Now we are much more common with commuter churches where everybody drives 20, 30, 45 minutes to church. And so we don't even live in the same neighborhood. So we don't get, it's harder to, to get together to figure out how do we witness to our neighborhood. Well, before we all knew what that neighborhood was. We knew who the people were. We knew what the needs were. We, we knew all that stuff. Now it's like, well, I've got a neighborhood 30 minutes up northeast. You've got a neighborhood that's 20 minutes west. And we're trying to figure out how to be the church in our neighborhoods by ourselves. So we've got these two... We've got these two understandings of this passage. That one is that it's, it's already been fulfilled. And the other is that maybe it's just about gospeling to those nearest before we work our way out. Except I'm still uncomfortable with this, these, either of these assumptions because of one of the basic assumptions we make about this passage. And I actually came across it. I was looking in a different translation, and I was in the NLT. And the NLT actually says it. It says... Um, don't give holy things to unholy people. Except that's not what's in the NRSV, it's not what's in the NASV. All the more close word-for-word -word translations, that's not there. And I realized that's the assumption that I'm uncomfortable with, is this idea that when Jesus refers to dogs and pigs, he's referring to people. Especially right after commanding us not to judge people. That seems a little contradictory, right? 
So my thought is, what if when Jesus says dogs and pigs, he means dogs and pigs? So here's a new way of reading this verse. And it's, the, it's a focusing on the importance of the sacred. The Bible's story affirms the division between sacred and common. And that's tough for me because I certainly believe that the blurring between what's sacred and common is, certainly needs to happen. We, I, I teach my congregation all the time that I, there's not this division in our life where this part of my life is sacred and this part of my life is common and I try to keep them separate. That's not the case. Instead, I'm trying to blur that line. I want people to see that your entire life is sacred. So I'm not interested in trying to keep the sacred and, sacred and secular separated. I'm trying to say, how do we blend those two together so that the sacred is everywhere? And yet, the Bible does actually affirm that sacred things are different than common things. And so how we treat and handle that which is sacred matters. And the gospel is sacred. So let's not treat it carelessly. So the dogs and pigs aren't people. They aren't derogatory descriptions for those unreceptive to the gospel. They are instead embodiments of times and places where the gospel would be treated carelessly. So imagine for a second, you have a pearl, and it's really valuable, and you want to share that pearl with someone. You would not, as you were taking that pearl from where you were to where you wanted to show it, you would not carelessly sling it on your back and walk around where it might fall out of your backpack, right? You're going to be consciously aware of where that pearl is on your person at all times. And what Jesus is saying is don't be careless with what is valuable so that as you're walking, it might fall out on the road where there are dogs and pigs. Because remember, in Jesus' day, dogs weren't pets. Neither were pigs, for that matter. These are not family pets. These are, these are unclean Dirty animals. Dogs especially. You didn't keep a dog as a pet. You, the dogs were probably wild and feral and rabid. And so what Jesus is saying is when you have something valuable, you don't walk around where you could just leave it and drop it somewhere where it could be cast or, or when you're out working with animals or working where you're just going to accidentally throw it in front of a pig where it gets stamped by little pig feet. You wouldn't present these animals with valuable things. I know today that we go out and we buy food, we buy healthier food for our cat than we eat. But that's because they're a family pet and we love them. But these are not family pets, so you don't give these animals valuable things. You don't go out and, and buy really expensive cat food to give to raccoons. Right? That's the idea here. So there are people... And this is where the problem comes because for us, they, you know, we all know people that like to present the gospel in really offensive terms. And then they take pride in how they're rejected and suffering for the presenting the gospel. We can be real here, right? They almost, they present it in such a way they're almost begging the listener to turn them down, to reject them. And they anticipate that the listener will walk away and then walk around like, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Nobody likes me because I'm 
following Jesus. And it's like, in as offensive a way as possible, yes, you are. Which then begs the question, are you really following Jesus? And here's the thing. How many future preachers, how many preachers do I have in the room? I had a feeling I'd have a few. Let me talk to you guys for a minute. Because we can fall into this trap. And especially when we're new at it, because we want to say something so dynamic and we want to be impactful and we want to preach messages that people will remember. And so we will fall in the trap of trying to say, Let's, let me give a sermon and I'll say something that's really controversial. Or I'll say it in a way that was really jarring because then they'll remember it. And the problem is that's true, but that is all they're going to remember. And we'll... We, run the temp- we have that temptation of wanting to say things that are provocative and then run the risk that whatever else we were going to say gets lost because everybody only heard what was provocative. When we alienate our audience or offend the people we're trying to reach, then we're not treating the gospel with care. Or when we take the easy way, this may be the other side of that, is when we take the easy way and we give just good Christian platitudes and cliches, and we, let, we do that instead of digging in and doing the real work of preparing the sermon and exegeting the text and preparing the interpretation, when we just settle on the, past, you know, the, the Christian cliches, half of which aren't even theologically accurate, God gives you more, won't give you more than you can handle. You know what I'm talking about? And we end up skimping on digging into the text, digging into the context of the text, digging into our own context, and fire, finding where the Scripture is speaking into our context and giving a word that the people really need. And we end up speaking in a manner that glosses over our own contexts and doesn't really make that impact. We are wise then if we use our gospel and gospeling energy appropriately. And so we need to ask ourselves if speaking up honors or vilifies Christ. And I will stand up here, and you don't really know me much, but I will stand up here and admit to you that I do the latter. I want to get up and say things, even if I'm not preaching. I just want to say things that, because I just, I get, you, you, ever, you ever just get frustrated? <laughs> like, I'm on Facebook. I get frustrated just like the rest of you because, of the, because I'm on Facebook. And I want to get in the comment section and just go to town. And then I, and I have to really check that in myself. I have to, like, bite my proverbial tongue. Because I know it's not, I'm not going to do any good. Because half the time, whatever I'm feeling like I really want to say probably isn't the thing I should say. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I preached on judging others. And maybe out of my own baggage, maybe out of my own frustration with where the church is at sometimes, I got really heated. 
I think appropriately so, and I'll stand by the message I preached, but I had people, I had, I had some issues that next week because people felt I was inappropriately angry with them when this, when this is a really great church that really does a good job welcoming everybody and not being judgmental. And I never got all the way there. And so I had to repent and work that out and ask people for some people for forgiveness and deal with and process and deal with that. Was I presenting the gospel carelessly? What this text teaches us is maybe that we have to learn when to speak, even before we learn what to speak, learn when to speak and when to walk away. And that maybe walking away is the most God-honoring thing we can do. At the end of the day, here's what I want to impart to you. At the end of the day, I want us to see the gospel kingdom message as something valuable. It's something precious. That would have been a really good place for an amen, but my youngest is the only one giving me any here. Okay. The gospel kingdom message is something valuable. And when you're preaching, when you're teaching, when you're pastoring churches, you are given a great gift and responsibility to bear that message. And it is a glorious, glorious responsibility, but it is a responsibility. And it's not something that we handle, should handle frivolously or treat in ways that do not honor Christ. We shouldn't be using the gospel as a weapon or a barrier to people. And it breaks my heart when I hear our Attorney General do just that. If there are people that are hurting, if there are people that are marginalized, if there are people that are on the outside of what is normal society, if there are people that are, these are the pe those are the people that Jesus came for. Those are the people Jesus associated with. And so to use the Word of God to further marginalize, to further demean and harm the very people Jesus came for is the worst thing you can do with the Gospel. Let's be careful with the Word of God. Let's be... By all means, let's be excited about it. Let's be passionate and let's explain the truth that the Word of God carries as articulately and as clearly. And sometimes that does mean you have to say things that might wake people up. But let's do it carefully and with God-honoring intention. Because when we do that, I think when you share the Gospel the way that shows you're caring for the Gospel, where you're not treating it frivolously, you can have an edge, but that will 
only encourage people to study more and to explore, be willing to come to you and explore together. Because that's why we do this in community. Can we do that? Then uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, and what his life and death and resurrection all mean for us, and what tremendous good news that is. And so, Lord, we want to treat that message as something incredibly valuable. We want to, we want to be careful with it, not just treat it with kid gloves, but that we want to make sure that when we use it, it's being used to its fullest potential. And so, Lord, we ask you to continue to work on our hearts, work on our uh, soul and on who we are so that our motivations and our desires are pure. That we don't get up and share the gospel in order to harm people. That we don't get up and share the gospel in ways that get rejected so that we can celebrate how rejected we are and how we align with your suffering, but that we share the gospel the way you want it to be shared so that it helps people, so that it brings hope and truth and empowers, and ultimately that it saves and redeems and reconciles people to each other and, and to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.